You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Amanda Kelly wanted to do something amazing with her life. She grew up in Easley, South Carolina, and in 2011, she joined the Army. She thought, hey, I'll have more opportunity in the Army. And so she did that for several years, and then uh, she thought, you know, I, I want more. And so she decided to go to Army Ranger School. So she wanted to be a part of the Special Forces. So she trained for several months, got in really good physical condition, and then Army Ranger School began. Now, Army Ranger School is divided into three different phases. Phase one is at Fort Benning. And at Fort Benning, it's 21 days long, and they test your physical and mental toughness. There's all kind of standards that have to be met, like so many push-ups and so many sit-ups and chin-ups, and you've got to run five miles in 40 minutes, and you've got to march 12 miles with an average of 47 pounds on your back. Well, Amanda did all of those things, and along with those things, there's other expectations, like you have to have positive peer evaluations, and you can't have over so many negative uh, marks on your, your, uh, your record. All of these things, that's just part of phase one. And if you survive phase one, guess what? Phase two is waiting on you in the northeast, uh, the, the mountains of northeast Georgia. And so phase two is the mountain phase. Yeah, that's where you soldiers learn mountaineering. They learn how to tie knots. They learn how to, how to go across a river. They learn how to rappel down steep slopes. They learn how to lead com, uh, uh, combat patrols as a team leader. Now, phase two is designed to press their, their physical and, and um, their physical and mental stamina to the max. And the reason is because they will just select them out of, out of nowhere and say, hey, you're going to lead this group of hungry and tired soldiers. It's, it's, it's a severe test. And Amanda went through that test. Even though she had a fracture in her back, she was injured, but she kept pushing and she kept persevering. Here's what Amanda learned about phase two in the mountains of northeast Georgia. She said, it's not about you at that moment. It's about the people around you. You don't realize in that moment how many people look up to you uh, until you complete it. Everybody has those trying periods because those mountains are really rough. You see, what Amanda learned is that even though she may have begun ranger school for herself, she realized it was really about other people. In phase two, she learned there were people around her who were depending on her. When you and I experience trials in life, we learn that life is not about us. It's about the people around us. There are people all over the world right now looking at Christians to try to determine, is what you have real? Is the peace that you have, that you've talked about, is is it real? Is it really true? Could that be true for me as well? And children, co-workers, neighbors, they are looking at us to, to try to figure out, is what you have real? And it's a great opportunity in the midst of trials. We learn that life is not about us, it's about other people. And so tonight we're going to look at Elijah. Remember last week we started uh, Elijah when he was at the Brook Cherith. That was phase one. Well, tonight is phase two. Phase two, Elijah goes to Zarephath. Now you would think after he had graduated from phase one, that things would get easier. In fact, the opposite is true. It actually got harder. But God had some lessons for Elijah to learn at Zarephath, and he has lessons for you and I to learn. We're, we're in a series now on Wednesday nights about how to become the type of person that shines for Christ in a dark world. 
That's what we're looking at. We're looking at the, the book uh, or the, uh, the book of First Kings, but the life of Elijah. And we're trying to learn from him. How did he shine for God in a very dark time spiritually in Israel? And so tonight we're going to talk about trials. Trials are a part of life. We're in a trial right now. But the way we look at trials uh, is crucially important. And so that's what we want to talk about tonight. So I want you in 1 Kings chapter 17, and we're going to look in verses 8 through 16. Elijah goes to Zarephath. Now, last week we were introduced to Elijah. You remember he appeared out of nowhere. He goes right to the king, and he pronounced judgment, uh, the judgment of God upon the land. There's not going to be any rain until he said there was going to be rain. And so right after that, God sent Elijah away to the brook Cherith, which was about 30 miles southeast of Samaria. And while he was there, God commanded the ravens to feed him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening. And then Elijah was able to drink water from the brook. And while he was there, uh, we think he was there the better part of a year. Elijah learned to trust God. But eventually the brook dried up. And that's where a word from God came. Uh, But before we get there, God had something to teach Elijah there in phase one at Cherith. One writer wrote this, Perhaps God took Elijah to Cherith to wean him away from the bright lights and the public platform and cut him down to size and reduce him to a man that would trust God. He renovated Elijah's inner man through the disciplines of solitude, silence, and obscurity. So God was teaching him there. And God had a word of provision for Elijah at Cherith, and he had a word of provision for him at Zarephath, as we're going to see here in just a little bit. One source said this, when the brook dries up, God's provision for Elijah gets more dramatic. And that's what we're about to see. So look with me in verse 8. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him. God's word came to Elijah. Now at this point, he's still at Cherith. The brook is dried up. The sand is dry and parched. And right in the middle of that dry place, God's word came to Elijah. Are you glad that God speaks to you in dry times? God doesn't abandon you. God doesn't leave you alone and say, well, I'm just going to remove myself. God comes and speaks to Elijah right at that moment when the brook is dry. And he's probably wondering, where where am I going to go? He's a wanted man. Ahab would probably like to kill him. And where does he go from here? And so right in that moment, God spoke to him. I, I love that God speaks to us in those moments. God had further provision for Elijah, and he had a, a plan for Elijah's life. You see, 1 Kings 17 covers a period of about two to three years. So he spent almost a year at at Cherith, and now he's got another year or two ahead of him. And that's going to be spent at Zarephath. And so that's where we're going. So God told him, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Now, Zarephath is in the complete opposite direction. Zarephath is on the coast of the Mediterranean, about 100 miles or so from Cherith. So Elijah's going to go northwest now, and he's got to hike all the way 100 miles or so to Zarephath. Now, what's interesting about Zarephath, it said it belongs to Sidon. That was ancient Phoenicia. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 31, it says that Jezebel's father, Ethbaal, was king of the Sidonians. So this land belonged, was ruled by Jezebel's dad. Jezebel was the one who had incited her husband, King Ahab, to worship Baal, to make Baal the official religion of Israel. And so surely she had been influenced by her father. 
And so God now is telling Elijah, I want you to go outside of Israel. I want you to go to Sidon, the, the kingdom of the Sidonians, ancient Phoenicia, which today is, is modern day Lebanon. It's about, um, it's in between Tyre and Sidon. Is, is this, it's called Seraphan today, ancient Zarephath. And so God tells, says, tells him, I want you to go to Zarephath. I want you to go to Bell country. I want you to go to the opponent's territory, and I've got something there for you to do. Now, God didn't tell Elijah how long he was going to be there. He didn't say, I'm going to send you there for a week. I'm going to send you there for a year. He just says, I want you to go and dwell there. I want you to, I want you to live. Just settle down there in Zarephath. Now, Zarephath comes from a verb that means to melt or to smelt. Now, we think there may have been an ancient smelting plant at Zarephath. The noun form means crucible. This would turn out to be a crucible for Elijah. Phase two was a crucible. It was a, it was a time where God would continue to melt away some things in Elijah's life that, that needed to be dealt with. Uh, you remember that Mount Carmel's coming in the next chapter. That was a, a year or two away at this point. The chariots of fire coming, you know, Mount of Transfiguration where Elijah would be, that was coming. But God needed to melt away some things in his life first. And so Elijah needed to go to Zarephath. You remember, uh, you know, during times like this, trials that we're experiencing, have you ever stopped to consider, God, is there something you're trying to melt away in my life? Is there something that, that, is there this crucible that we're going through? Is there something that you're trying to do in my life as a result of this? Are there things that just need to be, do I need to be purified of things, whether it's pride or just my desire to control, what, whatever it is. And, and control is really an illusion, right? Uh, if, if we are anything but in control right now. We are just being humbled and reminded that we are not in control. God is in control. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, The Lord is, is, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. He does what pleases Him. This is, this is His world. And it, it's just a reminder that we're human, that we're sinful, that we're fallen, and, but we're in need of God, and He's in control. And we can have confidence and trust that He is in control. But I, I have prayed, just like you have a number of times, that the virus would end. But my one main prayer has been, especially in the last four or five days, is that God would revive the church. Remember the, the psalmist in Psalm 85? He said, Oh Lord, will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? You see, revival leads to rejoicing. Will you revive us again, O oh God, that we may rejoice in you? Not that I'll rejoice in the comforts of this world or some other idol, but that we'll rejoice in God. And I, I hope that during this time that we'll be not too quick to just want to get through this, but to say, God, what is it you want to teach us? God, will you revive my heart? I need revival, Lord. And in the midst of that, maybe God will begin to melt some things away from our hearts, from our lives, things that we've depended on, things we've put confidence in. We, maybe we've not even realized it. It's been unintentional. As pastors talked about unintentional sin, Leviticus. Maybe there's unintentional things in our heart that we've, we've trusted in. But through this, God can teach us and can melt away those things. God told Elijah he would provide for him before he even left Cherith. He says, behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, again, a widow, that's another unlikely source. Remember at Cherith, it was a raven. Remember, we looked at ravens. Ravens don't even feed their own young. 
They don't even care for their own. And God is saying, I'm going to take a scavenger and make him a provider for you. That's what he did. And Elijah had seen that firsthand. And now God says, I'm going to take a widow, a, a, a very unlikely source. In the ancient Near East, widows were common because of disease and warfare. They were actually the first people normally to run out of food. They were dependent on the charity of others. They they'd had very little rights. They were considered the poorest people in society. They, uh, special provisions were made for them. They could glean the edge of a field when it was being harvested. The harvesters would leave some, some crops on the edge of the field, and so widows could go out there and, and glean the crops for themselves. So there were special provisions, but they were very poor. And now God is saying, hey, I've used a raven. Now I'm going to use a widow. And he's going to use a widow outside of Israel. This is not even a God-fearing widow as far as we know at this point. But yet, that's who God would use to provide for Elijah. Notice he says, I've provided a widow there to feed you. The term feed means to sustain, to support, or to nourish. The same word for feed is used in Genesis 45.11. Remember when Joseph became... Uh, one of the rulers in Egypt, Joseph told his brothers he would provide for them during the five years of famine that were ahead. That same word provide is used here. Just as Joseph would provide the grain and the, 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 the food necessary to feed his family, God says, I'm going to come in a widow to feed you. I'm going to provide this widow to nourish you, to sustain you. So I've got four points tonight I want to share with you on trials. If we're going to have the right perspective on trials, there's things we need to remember when we experience trials. Here's the first one. Experience in trials does not exempt us from trials. Experience in trials doesn't exempt us from trials. Just because you've experienced trials before doesn't exempt you from trials in the future. In fact, sometimes they, they, they come back to back and, and they even get more intense that's what we're seeing with Elijah here. He's experienced a trial at, at Cherith. He's been alone. He's, he's, had to, he's seen the, the brook dry up. He's experienced a trial, and now he's graduated to a harder trial. Now he's got a 100-mile hike ahead of him. Now he's going through a territory where he's a wanted man. King Ahab would love, love to end his life. And he's going outside of a place, and he's going outside of Israel. He's going to Baal territory. He's going into enemy territory, into their backyard, and he's a wanted man. And so the, the trials just keep getting harder. And that's how it is in our life as well. I read recently where Hilda Churchill, uh, Miss Churchill, was 108 years old. She recently died from COVID-19. She had mild symptoms, and after four days, she died. Now, Miss Churchill was 108 years old, almost 109. Think of all that she experienced in her life. She survived two world wars. She survived Vietnam. She survived the Great Depression. She survived the Spanish flu. All the trials that Miss Churchill experienced in her life, it didn't exempt her from her last trial in life, which was COVID-19, and that ended her life recently, just a little over, uh, just in the month of March. You see, even in the Christian life, we don't graduate to platinum status where we're exempt from trials. And when trials come, we often begin to think, what have I done wrong? Is God mad at me? Is he out to get me? God's not out to get you. But there may be something he wants to teach us in the midst of it. There may be something he wants to melt away from our hearts 
from uh, our, something we've, we've set up in our hearts to worship that's become so important to us. I don't know. But the, the, the thing we need to remember is that in the midst of trials, we should, it should have a longing in our hearts for Jesus to return. We should remember we live in a, a sinful, fallen world where there are consequences for sin, where even, even creation is groaning and longing for Jesus to return. And so trials are just a reminder that we're not at home. This, is, this world is temporary, and we long for Christ to come back. And there should be that longing and that yearning in our hearts. So Elijah had his marching orders. God told him what to do. Now how would he respond? Would Elijah say, you know what, God, I've, I've had enough. I'm going to stay at Cherith. I'm, going to, I'm just going to trust the ravens are going to keep feeding me. No, that's not what he did. Verse 10 says, so he arose and went to Zarephath. Just like that. Just immediate obedience. We're not told about he complained or that he had bitterness or that he had questions. We just see his obedience. And so Elijah arrives at the gate of the city. It says, he, when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. Now, perhaps he noticed she was a widow. She, she may have had the black characteristic dress on. And so he would have noticed, okay, she, she's a widow. And um, a, a city gate would have been a good place to gather sticks because all the traffic coming in and out of there, debris could have fallen off of trailers and, and um, animals. And so now uh, he is there, and he's ga- she, or she is there, and she's gathering sticks to go make a fire. She's getting leftover debris. And so Elijah sees this, and so he, he calls to her. It says, he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Now, this request may sound, to us, that sounds strange. Like, why, why would you just ask a complete stranger to get you something to drink? But the ancient Near East, hospitality was very important. And so this was not a strange request at all. In fact, especially at the city gate where our guests, travelers would be coming through. And so she, she obviously recognized he was not from that area. She knew he was a guest. And so she immediately, we're not told she even said a word. She just goes and immediately goes to get him water. So it was, it was a modest request. But then he goes a step further. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So as you're going to get water, hey, 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 bring me some bread as well. Surely he was hungry. He just had about a hundred mile journey and the, the brook had been dry. And so he was thirsty. He was probably famished. This guy was hungry and, and he's ready to eat. And so listen to what she said. His request now reveals the desperation of her situation. Verse 12. As she said, or and she said, as the Lord, your God lives, I have nothing baked. I, Elijah, sir, I, I don't have anything. I, I'd love to give you something. I just don't have it. And, and she said, uh, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. That's all I've got left. Just, just a little handful of flour, a little bit of oil. It's not even baked yet. That's why I'm out gathering sticks, she's going to say. Now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in. She's going to start a fire and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Her situation was hopeless. It was serious. She was about to have her last meal. And now Elijah's requesting to eat a portion of her last meal. It revealed the desperate situation she was in. It also revealed that the famine was affecting Phoenicia. The famine was affecting Israel 
This was the famine Elijah had pronounced upon Israel, and now he sees the effect of it, affecting a, a widow woman with a son at home, and she is gathering sticks to go prepare her last meal. But her desperate situation was paving the way to see the power of God. You see, theologically, Elijah stepped onto foreign soil where the false god Baal was worshipped. And Elijah is going to speak the truth of God here. And God's going to provide for her. And what God is showing here is that he is more powerful than Baal. He can provide what Baal cannot provide. She says, I have nothing. And that's the theological point here is that God is a source of provision. He meets the, de- the needs of desperate people when we will come to him. Here is our second point tonight. And as we talk about trials, having a proper view of trials, becoming that person who shines for Christ in a dark world. In the midst of our trials, others have their own trial. In the midst of our trials, others have their own trial. You know, Elijah was all alone at Kareth, remember? He was all alone by himself. He didn't have anybody else there. But now as he goes to Zarephath, his eyes are open to other people around him. And he sees a widow, and he knows she has a son at home, and they're struggling. He now is aware there are other people struggling here besides me. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, but she's trying to fix her last meal. There was an article recently in the New York Times. It talked about the nuns of 1918. In 1918, the Archbishop of Philadelphia made a plea for help for nuns to come help them. There were The Spanish flu was raging in Philadelphia in the fall of 1918. The nur- many of the nurses were off at World War I and, and taking care of soldiers. And there was a desperate need for help. So he made a plea to the nuns who were in their convents. He said, hey, will you please come and help us. Many of them had not even, were not even familiar with the outside world, outside of their own convent. Many of them didn't have any medical training, but they just needed help. About 2,000 nuns responded. And they went and they put on gowns, they put on masks, and they began going around and caring for those infected with the Spanish flu. And they would, they would make them soup, they would take them ice, they would take them water, and, and just all through the night, you would hear people saying, sister, sister, sister. And they were calling these nuns and the nuns were just ministering to the physical needs of these patients uh, for 12 hour shifts. They would do it. And oh, after a number of weeks, when this was the, the, the peak of this epidemic was over, 23 nuns had died. 23 had died of the Spanish flu and there about 12,000 Philadelphians had, had died. And this is what the mayor said after everything had calmed down. The mayor said, I have never seen a greater demonstration of real charity or self-sacrifice than has been given by the sisters in their nursing of the sick. You see, in the midst of, of their trial, the sisters learned that others are also experiencing a trial as well. And so in the midst of what you're going through right now, you feel alone, you feel overwhelmed, you feel um, fearful at times, if we're honest, you feel anxious. Be reminded there are others that are going through trials as well. Elijah was not alone in his trial. There was a widow and a son having a trial of their own. And so as Christians, we're to focus on others because isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus left his throne in heaven humbled himself, took the form of a servant, 
became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And Jesus laid down his life for the sins of the world. Jesus laid down his life for others. His life was about others. And as followers of Jesus, our life is about others. It's not about ourselves. It's about others. So as we follow Christ, look for ways right now where you can minister to others. You could do something special for one of your neighbors, you know, by, between now and the end of the week. There are other people around you who are struggling. And I know we have to keep our distance, but there may be other ways. There may be things you could order and get sent to their house, or maybe ways you can minister uh, virtually to them. But there are ways that we can serve others in the midst of this. We don't know the widow's name, but I do believe we know her spiritual condition. Look in verse 12. It says, as the Lord your God lives. I take this to mean at this point, she recognized Elijah as someone outside of Phoenicia, but she, as far as we know, was a worshiper of Baal. That was, that was the, the, the primary false god in that area. She was not a worshiper of God, I don't believe. And so that's where she was. And so uh, Elijah still had a word for her. He said in verse 13, do you notice, but before we get there, do you notice how she said, I have nothing? You see, that's where, that's where idolatry leads you. It leads you to just feeling empty. I, I have nothing. That's where the pursuit of things in this world, that's where it will lead us. I have nothing. I have nothing to show for it. It's like the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years in the New Testament and has spent all her money on doctors. Doctors are great, but she had spent and spent and spent and spent. But when she finally came to Jesus, that's when her need was met. And that's where she found healing. And it's the same with the woman here. She has lived in, uh, in idolatry. She's lived uh, not in relationship with God, and she has nothing to show for it. And as we go through this season, this trial can reveal the emptiness that idolatry brings. And people can finally come to the realization and go, I have nothing. And that's an opportunity for us to share the gospel with them and to say, hey, you know what? I, there was a time I had nothing too, but Jesus met my need. Jesus has filled me. And as Ephesians 1 says, he's given us every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. And he will do the same for you if you will receive him as your Lord and Savior. Man, we have that opportunity right now. And so this trial in her life brings her to a place of desperation, brings her to a place where she says, I have nothing. I just don't have it. And so now Elijah is able to minister to her. So look, look what he says in verse 13. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. He's asking for part of her last supper. This is the last meal that, that she has, that, at least right now. That's all she has ingredients for. And he's saying, hey, but first, I want you to honor God. That's what he's saying. He's a prophet of God. And so by honoring him, she's really going to be honoring God. So he's saying, in your last meal, I want you to honor God. This was, a, this was a test for her. This was a severe test. And the fact that, that she didn't have any more grain or flour or oil suggests just how severe the famine was. Grain and oil were two of the staples in that area of Phoenicia. This was a harbor town. They, they were known for those ingredients. And, and the famine was obviously severe. This is all she had left. And he says, no, I, but I want you to honor God first. And then he gives her a promise. He tells her what to do in verse 13. And then in verse 14, he gives her a promise. Look, look at the promise. 
For thus says the Lord. Now, this is Yahweh speaking now. This is not, this is not, hey, this is just my opinion. I think you should do this. He tells her what to do, and then he gives her a promise from God. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. This was a test for her. And I believe this was the moment where she became a follower of God. This was her salvation moment. And the reason I I believe that is because she, look at the beginning of verse 15, and she went and did as Elijah said. Now, what did Elijah say? Elijah spoke the word of God. Thus says the Lord. So as she obeyed Elijah's word, she was obeying God. I interpreted that this is her salvation moment. This is when she said, okay, she's desperate. She says, I have nothing, but I'm going to trust in God. This was her moment where she said, I'm going to act in obedience because I have faith that God will provide for me. It's amazing. Salvation means it's just coming. It's realizing we come to the end of ourselves and we say, I don't have anything. There's no way I can work my way into heaven. I can't be good enough. And it's realizing that we need Christ and only he can get us into heaven. Only he has paid for our sin. So that's where she was realizing. She said, I've got nothing left. And maybe you, some of you have gotten to that place where you have been humbled and humbled and humbled. And you think, I don't have anything left. And that's where you turn to Christ and receive him as your Lord and Savior. And he will meet your needs as, as we're about to see here. So that, that's what she does. It says, and she went and did as Elijah said. What happened? And she and he, that means Elijah, and her household, that's her son, ate for many days. And we don't know how many days. As far as I believe Elijah lived there, could have lived there for up to two years. But for many days, Elijah, as we learn in the next passage, and we'll look at Lord willing, Lord willing in a couple of weeks, Elijah was living in that upper room for up to probably two years, many days, God was providing for this family. That handful of flour just kept stretching and stretching. Here's our third point about trials. In the midst of our trials, we can see transformation. In the midst of our trials, we can see transformation. Because Elijah obeyed God and went to Zarephath, he was able to see a woman transform from death to life. Here's a woman that trusted in God. She had a clear physical deed, but she had an even greater spiritual deed. She lived in Baal country outside of Israel, and now she meets a prophet of God. She hears the word of God, thus says the Lord. She trusts in the word of God, and now she gets to experience the provision of God. Do you know Jesus referred to this story? In Luke chapter 4, Jesus was in Nazareth. Jesus was at his hometown. And it says he went to the synagogue as usual. He pulled out the scroll and he read from it and he sat down. And, and, and people were saying, hey, isn't this the carpenter's son? You know, haven't we seen this guy before? They only saw him from a human perspective. They didn't, they didn't acknowledge him as the Messiah. And so then Jesus referred to this story. He said, you know, of all the widows, you know, Elijah was not sent to any of the widows in Israel. He was sent to a a widow at Zarephath, outside of Israel. And so what Jesus was saying was, even Elijah 
the prophet of God didn't even get to minister in Israel during his time. You think how sad that is. A prophet of God like Elijah who calls down fire from heaven for several years didn't even get to minister in Israel because their hearts were so hard. They they, They were worshiping a false god. So God sent him outside of Israel to this particular woman. And Jesus's point was, hey, you missed Elijah. You're about to miss me as well. And it said right after that, so they were in a rage. They tried to push him off the cliff because they didn't receive him. Their hearts were hard. And that's what Jesus was warning them, saying, you're about to miss, you missed Elijah. You're about to miss me as the Messiah. But this woman here, she didn't miss him. She received him. I believe she put her faith in God. She became a worshiper of God. She experienced transformation in that moment because she trusted in the word of God. You see, salvation is for any person who received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that's what happened. Don't miss Jesus and with everything happening right now. Don't miss what he's trying to do in your life. You see, this woman saw transformation, but Elijah saw transformation. Now, Elijah was already a believer. He was a prophet of God. But God was deepening his walk with him. You see, Elijah was learning lessons that he would need at Mount Carmel. He's going to stand before hundreds of of prophets of Baal, and he's going to need courage. He's going to need to know that what God says, that's what's going to happen. And he was learning that. He learned that in phase one. And now in phase two, he spoke the word of God, for thus says the Lord, and it happened. And now it's, he's experiencing the other side of his obedience. You know, I heard some a pastor say several years ago, two or three years ago, he said, you never know what's on the other side of your obedience. You really don't. We, we, we have no idea what's on the other side of our obedience. Elijah decided, you know what? I'm going to rise and go to Zarephath, even though it doesn't make sense. And I'm just going to trust God. And he did. And he gets to see a woman saved. He gets to see uh, a child that gets to keep eating. And Elijah gets to enjoy God's provision as well. Don't miss Jesus. Oh, don't miss Jesus in the midst of everything happening here. Nazareth missed Jesus, his own hometown. Don't miss Jesus and what he's trying to teach you, what he's trying to teach me in the midst of this. You never know how, how our obedience can be a blessing for someone else. That was Elijah's life. Well, verse 16 says, A jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. You notice in verse 8, it was about the word of God. Then the word of the Lord came to him. At the very end of, of this section, according to the word of the Lord, they spoke by Elijah. You see, Elijah's life was about the word of God. It was about submitting to the authority of the word of God. God directed his steps. All Elijah did was just obey what God told him to do. Elijah and this widow and her son experienced a supernatural provision of God every morning. Now, we're not told here about the jar was overflowing or, you know, the, um, uh, the, the jug was overflowing with oil. That's not what we're told. We're not told there were 25-pound bags of flour, you know, stored up in the garage or in the attic or out back somewhere. It just says it was never empty. It was never spent. That is, every single morning when that widow went to the kitchen to prepare food for the day, there was just enough. There was just enough oil. There was just enough flour. 
Every morning, God met her in the kitchen. Supernatural provision. See, we like to stockpile. We like to, we like to build and build and build. And then we put our confidence oftentimes in those things. And God says, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to meet your daily needs. Isn't that what Jesus prayed? Give us today our daily bread. Remember the Israelites in Exodus 16? Every morning they would go out and gather manna. They would gather as much as they needed. Except for the sixth day, they would grab twice as much because they would rest on the seventh day. See, God is, is about meeting our daily needs. Supernatural provision for our daily needs. One writer says this, It is as if God says, Give me everything you have, and I will give you everything you need. Isn't that good? One writer said, Biscuits never tasted so good. The widow met God in the kitchen every morning. Psalm 34, verse 9 says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Have no lack. We keep God in his rightful place as Lord of our lives. There, there's no lack. There's struggles, yes, but there's, there's no lack. Here's our fourth point. In the midst of our trials, we can experience supernatural provision. In the midst of our trials, you and I can experience supernatural provision. Well, Elijah sure did. The widow and her son sure did. They never ran out of food. Zarephath was a place of refining for Elijah. It was a crucible. It was a place where God was melting away certain things. One writer said this, Perhaps he learned at Zarephath that he didn't need the limelight. He only needed the daily provision of God. Isn't that good? When we get to the place where we realize God is really all that we need, we don't have to have all these other things. We just need the daily provision of God, and God is faithful to do that. Some of you maybe right now are at Zarephath. Some of you were at Cherith, were at Cherith last week. You, you've, you're at a place where the brook has dried up. But maybe some of you are in phase two. You're at Zarephath right now. You're at the place where it's a crucible. You're at a place where you feel like God is just melting things away. You were trying to homeschool your children, and you were up to your eyeballs with that and responsibility and trying to take care of the home and trying to do a job from home. And it, it, it's overwhelming. And you feel like, I, I don't know how this can get any more challenging. You're at Zarephath. And I don't know what God may be teaching you, but the question is really, will you trust him at Zarephath? Will you trust him? Will you keep obeying him at Zarephath? Will you believe that God has a plan and he's refining you? And he has a Mount Carmel ahead of you. It may look different than Elijah. But he's got a, he's, he's got the next step figured out for you as well. But you've got to trust him at Zarephath. You've got to learn to walk by faith. And then the other question for you, the first is, will you trust him at Zarephath? The second is, who's the widow that you can minister to while you're at Zarephath? Who's the widow? Who's the widow and her son at Zarephath, at the Zarephath you're at right now, that you can minister to? It may be, it may be one of your own children that's having a hard time right now with not getting able, being able to go through graduation like, like they had hoped, like they'd been looking forward to for years. It may be someone who, who had a, a wedding scheduled right now, and they, they weren't able to do it like, like they wanted to. Someone's at Zarephath right now, and the question is, is there a widow around you? Is there someone around you who has other needs, has trials as well, that you can minister to in the midst of this trial? God will use you if we'll be faithful to him. 
In 2016, Rob Fortenberry graduated from the Army Ranger School. Now, Rob was a little unique. He was not in his early 20s or late teens like some of the other graduates are. Rob was 45 years old, and he became the oldest graduate of the Army Ranger School. You see, Rob had been in the military for years, and he always wanted to do Ranger School, but things just kept getting in the way. And he had the, the, the rank of Command Sergeant Major, and he would actually talk to other soldiers about going to Ranger School, and he would encourage them to go, hey, you need to go. Come on, you need to go to Ranger School. It'll be great for you. He would, he would encourage them, and in fact, the, for six months, he was in a unit, and their motto was, deeds, not words. Deeds, not words. That was their motto. So he, he just kept pushing them toward Ranger School. One day, Rob just sat down with his wife and said, you know what? I've got to stop being a hypocrite. He said, you know, I'm sitting here telling, telling these soldiers about Ranger School, and I've never been. I mean, I'm telling them how important it is and how they ought to be doing it. And, oh, yeah, absolutely, you ought to go. And he's like, I've, I've never been. And so he decided to start living what, what he'd been talking about. And so even though it cost him, it cost him, he lost about $1,000 a month in deployment pay. He decided, you know what? I'm going to go to Army Ranger School. And he did. And he went to Army Ranger School. And he decided, you know what? I need to experience all the hardships that they are experiencing. He could no longer talk about Ranger School without experiencing it himself. It's time for us as Christians to obey what we've been talking about. It's time for us to start living what we've been talking about. This is a time of action. Elijah was a man of action. God sent him to Cherapath, or God sent him to Cherith, God sent him to Zarephath, and God met him there. And so if you're at Cherith, if you're at Zarephath, God will meet you there as well. Keep obeying him. Stay faithful to him and trust that he will use your trials for his glory. Would you bow with me and pray? Father, I thank you that you're faithful to meet us at the Zerapaths and at the Cheris. Thank you that you don't leave us alone. Thank you that you're there to speak a word of, of hope, a word of encouragement, a word of instruction to us. I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight, Lord, who are at a Zerapath, who are at a place of refining, a place of melting. Lord, I pray you'd encourage them. I pray you'd lift their heads tonight. I pray they would continue to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, I pray they would not grow weary in doing good, but I pray they would keep loving Jesus, and I pray they would keep obeying you. And I pray they would see your supernatural provision in the midst of this trial we're going through. Lord, please encourage them tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.